Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. so far it's only morning you know well it might be almost almost lunchtime on the east coast and um so you got that going for you the um i'm going to hawaii on sunday okay and i there's all kinds of requirements to fly to hawaii you have to take, if you're not going to quarantine 10 days, okay, you have to get a certain type of COVID test. And it tells me exactly what kind of COVID test it is. And then you have to upload it. You have to create an account. You have to upload it to a website. And then uh, you have to upload your travel information. And then you got to get a test within 72 hours of the... Uh, Within 72 hours of the uh, of your departure time on your flight to Hawaii, so I leave Orange County. I fly to San Francisco, and then I or San Jose. I fly from San Jose to Hawaii. So it's the time I go wheels up. So you can subtract 72 hours from that, and your test has to be within that window. You then take that. And you, uh, the results of that test, and you upload it to their database. And then when you arrive in Hawaii, they scan you, they match it to your little file, and you're you don't have to quarantine. So yeah, so that's uh, so I got education and all that. So the cor- the test costs 140 bucks. Yeah. So how much is it worth it for you not to quarantine? Um, so, uh, but I've never been to Hawaii, and I'm going to stay 
at um, Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam. Yeah, that's a Navy and Air Force event. I don't know if the Army's there. So Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam. Now, I have to tell you this. Um, so, when you look at Honolulu, um, like, it's all downtown, right? So you have the Honolulu International Airport. You have Joint Pace, Pearl Harbor, Hickam. I don't even know how far it is. It ain't very far. Um, But I was born on December 7th. I've never been to Hawaii. And now I'm going to spend some time, um, yeah, in, I'm going to go there three times in the next couple months. Uh, and I'm going to spend time in the place, the only place I want to go in Hawaii. Well, you know, there's actually another place I want to go, wherever the Marines trained for World War II. I'd like to get, just go check that out. Um, but that's a distant second. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm haven't really thought that much about, you know, the, the sightseeing, um, opportunity that I'll have. And, um, but I'm, I can't tell you how geeked I am to, uh, how geeked I am to, uh, to go. So, uh, so that's going on today or that's going on. Um, last night in a post-traumatic winning, uh, online group that I do of people that have already been through the program, um, Tim Lynch and, uh, Tim McMahon came on, two friends of mine. And, you know, I'll say this about try, about being a leader in life, right? When you try to influence others, when, you know, you get into that business, sometimes it's not so easy. And, um, and, and so I think it, you really see what somebody is about as a human being when they go to places that are uncomfortable for them. And, you know, Tim Lynch couldn't stay for the whole event. So he, he talked about, you know, his life, the, the, you know, the bad decisions he had made in his life. And ultimately he winds up homeless. If you've never heard that, you can go check, just, just do a search on Lynch and you'll see a bunch of podcasts Tim's involved in. Scroll down and scroll, scroll down. And then you'll see, you know, a couple titled, you know, when he discusses about being homeless and it's very emotional for him, you know, and, uh, and, and really the subject of last night was, was when you go through traumatic experiences, it's hard enough. When you layer on top of that, the fact that you're ashamed and you could be ashamed because you were raped and you don't want anybody to know because you're not sure what they say. You could be ashamed because you're a victim of child abuse and you don't want anybody to know. Um, in this case, Tim was homeless and, uh, he talked about, you know, coming back, uh, to Dave Furness's change of command and the fact that, um,
the fact that he was coming back to see all of us in North Carolina, and he was so nervous he threw up at every airport on his trip. And you listen to that, and then you see the impact it has on other people, right? Um, you know, here are these tough guys who are tough, and they're talking about how devastating some of these experiences were. And then Tim Lynch, Tim McMahon followed up, and he talked about being, you know, sexually assaulted three times in his life as a young guy. And then what that did to his life. You know, what kind of man am I? You know, can I have a relationship with somebody else? You know, what happens when I, I become angry and irate and the damage I do to my family? And I mean, and so you're sitting there watching, you're seeing how, you're just watching facial expressions as, as he speaks. And I, I just want to, I mean, it was it was, it was awesome. It was awesome because one of the things when you deal with trauma, what really important things that happen is you go to a safe place, you meet other people like you, and then in that forum, you sit and you talk and you learn, and you learn that you are not alone, that there's a lot of people that have a lot of shit in their lives. And those guys were awesome last night. I, I can't tell you how proud I was of each one of them. Um uh, and what they what they've done with with uh, tough circumstances that they uh, that they blame themselves for, although not entirely their own making, either one of them. Um, in the news, say a guy named Jason. Well, not in the news today, but in about five minutes, a guy named Jason Quintero is going to join us. Uh, Jason, uh, former Marine, uh, he's a life coach. He's got his own company up in Sacramento. So we'll talk to Jason. Um, I don't believe most people need therapists anymore. Yeah. I think therapy is vastly overrated. I think the majority of it is not very good. And um, I think what most people need is somebody who can tell them how to get their life together. Okay. And, um, And I don't think the drugs for most people are the appropriate way to go. But that is the... American institutional response to when you struggle. And if you don't have a serious mental illness, consider using a life coach instead of a therapist. That's where I would tell you. That's where I would tell you to start. Okay. So you're going to meet Jason, Jason, former Marine and life coach. And so, yeah, Uh, a couple things in the news. Um, uh, The Russia trial, the Russia, I combined two items. Um, Nobody is better at playing international chess than Vladimir Putin. And uh, and he's playing it again. And so um, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen on the border. And But I will tell you this. Um, he plays that game better than anybody. And so, um, so in my opinion, the biggest question is Germany. Um, there's a Nor, it's called the Nor two part uh, pipeline or something like that. That pipeline is really important for a variety of reasons. It allows Germany to sell into Europe. It, it creates European dependence on Germany. 
and it's the transfer of real money to Russia, which is the land of fake money. Germany is the enabler of all that. So now you've got 100,000 Russian troops massing on the border. Somebody needs to put an end to this pipeline thing. Okay? And and, and you're going to see Germany make, you know, great pro, uh, protests relative to this in public. But there's, <clears throat> they're still going to enable this pipeline. And it's ridiculous. I'm not, I'm, I'm as everybody knows who listens to the station, um, I am not a fan of Germany. I think they destabilize the European, you know, continent. And I think they get held, held accountable. And, and how do you do this? How do you enable that? And then say, oh, we don't want American troops to leave Germany. But if you look at, if you look at the geography of Germany, uh, of Europe, Germany's nowhere near the conflict. What's significant to America about Germany today? Answer, nothing. Why would we feel any need to keep troops in Germany when the fight with the Russians, if it happens, is going to happen way further to the east? So where would you want to be? Poland, probably. Maybe the Ukraine. Right? So, um, anyway, so that in the news. And then the other thing, um, a quick comment. I, I haven't watched the Derek Chauvin trial, but I have my TV on on mute. And I see some of the things that get said. Uh, when you look at what happened, which is clearly um, excessive force, okay? So was his intent to murder him? I don't think you can, I don't think as a jurist, how would you say that that was his intent? So I think the jury, I don't know what he will be convicted of manslaughter in some lesser degree. But I think that a lot of people believe that the state of Minnesota overcharged the case. And so, you know, and now you have, you know, the nation kind of waiting to watch this verdict. And then we'll all watch the rioting that breaks out, no matter what the verdict is on the backside of it. And the question becomes, what happens to police? What happens to policing in the country? What happens to policing in the country? Now, there was a, a young man got shot in Chicago the other night. He's hanging out with some guy who's 21. 21-year-old's got a pistol, and shots are fired, right? The acoustic sensors in Chicago sense it. Officers are dispatched. Officer gets out of his car. He's chasing a young man with a pistol. Now, in a life-and-death situation, this young man turns... And then in the officer's mind, he's got a pistol in his hand. He's already shot, according to the acoustic sensors. He's run, and now he hasn't dropped a weapon. What else do you want the officer to do? But to me, the most concerning part is, you know, when we have people that say things like due process, and then they're fired or, res- or, or resign. That's kind of scary. You have an American Congress person who's telling protesters to essentially be more violent, be more confrontational. And so hold on to your hats because, you know, the adults in the room, not so much. Not so much. And so what happens in a culture where nobody wants to be a cop? 
What happens to the lawlessness, right? <clears throat> so, again, does that excuse every excess? Absolutely fucking not. It does not. Okay? But when you when you put yourself into that situation on a daily basis, right, um, and we don't believe in due process, and, I mean, for instance, the, the woman who shot the young man at the traffic stop, you know, the the female cop who said, taser, taser, taser. Um, I don't, and I've talked to cops. How do you confuse your taser for your pistol? According to them, impossible. Don't Straight up, don't feel the same in your hand. And they questioned her experience level, what she had been doing, and why she was out training officers if she doesn't feel that. They said, look, I, I don't know why she was out there. It certainly sounds like she shouldn't have been there. And you don't mistake your taser for your for your service pistol. You just don't. And anybody who makes a living with those those devices, you know, would immediately feel it. But my point is this. That's a tough job. Split-second decisions, life and death on the line, at night, running down a dark alley, somebody's fired shots, somebody, you see a pistol in their hand, and you have to make a decision. Do you, do you, do you restrain yourself, which might cost you your life, or do you shoot, which may cost that person their life? So um, so the nation awaits the verdict. And my my instinct is that it will be some lesser form of uh, of manslaughter. So, um, yeah. So, good morning. Let me get Jason Quintero on the line. And uh, and but first, we will uh, we'll make the program official, and we do that. This is United States Marine Corps Band. Good morning to you. <laughs> This is dedicated to a couple of friends of mine who came on uh, the um, graduate seminar last night of post-traumatic winning and talked about difficult parts of their life. Uh, Tim Lynch talking about what it was to be homeless uh, for for a while in his life. And then Tim McMahon, who who uh, talked about what it was like to be sexually assaulted three times as a young person. So um, 
courage. I can't tell you how proud I am of uh, my friends uh, for uh, doing that. So this dedicated to those two guys, Tim and Tim. betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> But I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So, young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds and win. You gotta win. Alright, we'll check the weather around Marineland. Currently sunny and 67 in Quantico, down the coast of Camp Lejeune. Partly sunny 69. 29 Palms sun and 70. Pendleton, partly cloudy 58. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy 67. Okinawa, dark cloudy 68. Darwin is dark cloudy 78 in Oslo, which is in Norway, don't you know? It is uh, sunny and 60 there. How about that? And where I am in Costa Mesa, California, it is cloudy and 60. Joining me from Sacramento is uh, Jason Quintero. So uh, first of all, Jason, uh, thanks, uh, thanks for doing this. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Matt. Nice to uh, nice to hear from you, and thank you for having me on. No, no, no. Jason is the founder of. Uh, hold on, let me get this straight. All right, um, Quintero Management and Consulting, former Marine, and so I thought I'd, I'd have him on the show because um, I honestly believe that most people in their life don't need a therapist; they could use a personal coach uh, and uh, more. 
So I wanted to have Jason on, who went through post traumatic winning program online, and uh, and and talk about that. So uh, so first of all, let's talk about you as a Marine, Jason. Uh, first of all, born and raised where? Uh, born in Berkeley, California. Raised in California, raised in the Bay Area from Oakland to Vallejo, California, and um, Berkeley. That's yeah, not exactly Berkeley. Berkeley Marine Corps is. They're not. We don't normally see those in the same sense unless something bad's happening. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, born in Berkeley in 1969. Whoa. Oh, probably a haze of smoke going on. I don't know what was going on. And, and from yeah, from not only the marijuana but the riots that were going on in Berkeley at the time. Right, one exactly. of the one of the epicenters of uh, of protests during the Vietnam War. Yeah, I gotta say, my, my mom's a tough lady, you know, <laughs> a little a bit. So it's good, but yeah, um, California, and uh, it's and I'm still living here today. Got it in California. How, how does the Marine Corps get on your radar? You know, my uh, my father and stepfather were both Marines. Ah. Yes, and I remember going through school. I was a horrible student in school, and I remember my father and stepfather, neither of them um, really did very well in high school. So I thought, well, and they're both very successful. I admire both of them. And I thought, well, sh- shit, if, uh, if they don't do well in high school, then I guess I don't have to either, and I can just become a Marine and be successful. So there you have it. <laughs> the shortcut to success. Do shitty, yeah. do shitty at school, join the Marine Corps, become successful. Exactly. And I tell a lot of people, I say, you know, I didn't grow up in high school. I didn't get my education in high school. I got my education in the Marine Corps. That's where I grew up. That's where it all came together for me. So what, um, So we know how it gets on your radar. What year do you join? I joined in uh, December of 88. All right. And... Uh, you, uh, what do you become in the Marine Corps? I became a diesel mechanic. Whoa. Yeah. So Those Humvees. So my, my first duty station, they told me to work on Jeeps. We still had Jeeps at First Marines. I was at 1-1 at Camp Horno. And they said, they put me on the Jeeps. I said, I don't even know what the Jeep is. What the hell is this? <laughs> Let me just tell you, that's old core. When you, if you had either had a steel pot, a forty-five, or if you ever rode in a Jeep, you're part of the old Marine Corps. Uh, the Jeep, though, it incredible. Um, what was great about it was narrow wheelbase, so you could get down mm-hmm. trails with it, right? right? Engine, extremely simple. What were there, like three parts in it? And then, um, and it was just this little, uh, this little rugged thing that you could, you know, dispose of pretty quickly. And you could move in airplanes and shit like that. As you compare it to what we have now, it's crazy. But the Jeep, man, what an what an incredible little device. Well, it's funny because I, when I went to training, we just trained on Humvees and five tons. Humvees and five tons, that's all I got. Then I show up at 1-1, and they have Jeeps. <laughs> they told me to take care of the Jeeps. I'm thinking, I don't, know what I don't know what a Jeep, I don't know how to do this. But, of course, when the sergeant says, or the lieutenant says, go fix it, I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> okay. I'm out there fumbling with tools. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'll just fake it till you make it, I guess. Right, right. Somebody will walk along and say, hey, what are you doing? Like, I have no idea, right? Uh, yeah. Could you show I don't know me? yet. When the senior Lance Corporal says, hey, dummy, this is how you do it. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Thanks. So how long did you stay in the Marine Corps? I did about 10 and a half years. Wow. Like, I left in, I actually wrote down the notes, 
May 21st, 1999. Wow, just in case you're keeping track. So you participate in Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm? Yes, yeah, uh, did Desert Shield, Desert Storm uh, with 1st Marines. With 1st Marine Regiment? Uh, first, first time, first Marine, so headquarters so one, one, one one. Got it. The um, give us, give me uh, give me some of the things that you learned out of that experience. That's uh, you know, you there's Marine experiences, and then there's experiences that you have when you go forward, um, and they're a little bit different. Uh, a lot of the same. You know, you just learn them at a. You realize the beauty of what you learned back in Garrison because it it helps save your life and and make you better when you go forward. But there are different experiences when you go forward. Give me a couple of lessons learned from your experiences, Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Hmm. Well, you know, one thing I can think of is how, you know, you're in the Marine Corps and you're training, you're doing Marine Corps stuff, and you got the uniform, looks good, you're squared away, you're a good-looking dude, right? right. And um, you feel like a badass, and you are a badass, you know what I mean? But then... When you get to combat, and you start thinking, oh, shit, man, this is real. The people are really going to try to kill me. This isn't training no more. I, I remember thinking, well, I remember CNN especially saying, before we left, they said, we're all going to die. Like, 90% of us are going to die. <laughs> and, you know, being with the first Marines, we, we were the first guys in there. Right. And they said the first wave of rains and soldiers, they're going to die. So that's, you know, it's a depressing thought to think CNN might be telling the truth. Or they might actually know what they're talking about. Of course, you find later on they're full exactly. of crap. Exactly. We, we all have learned better than that, right? Wolf, Blitz, right. Yeah, Wolf, Wolf Blitzer in a situation room. I mean, thank God combat's not like that. You couldn't last for like two hours if it was like life in a situation room. You know, and the nonsense uh, that that people put out there. Yeah, I, I learned early on: don't trust the media. They're full uh, of crap. They don't have no clue what they're talking about. So that was that was fun. But getting into combat, uh, being shot at, uh, it really there's a, and I hate to say this, you know what I mean? There's marine, and then there's combat marine, and, and I believe that every single marine who hasn't been in combat. If they were asked to go to combat and go to war, they would do it and they'd perform superbly. But when you actually get there and you're shot at, you see there's some guys who buckle. I mean, very, very few. I can think of two. Two people who just quite couldn't jump up out of the armored vehicle and fire back. They were scared. Um, But the overwhelming majority of us, we fire back. But you're scared too, and that—that's the difference. Everybody, you know, it's interesting when you have those discussions. Like, I was scared shitless, man. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't even know how I did that. And then, and then, you know, the vast majority of people learn to overcome yeah. their fear and function. Um, but there are, you know, there are a few. I remember I had a guy on. Uh, his name's Matt Gospodinovich, and he is a lance corporal in Tenth Marines and artilleryman. And he was in Beirut the day of the, the, the bombing uh, in 1983. And he said there was one guy who refused to go help. Yeah. And I thought, man, how do you live with yourself, right? I mean, knowing that, knowing that you know, you have a job to do, others. And I think everybody has kind of a similar, like, 
thought in their heads, like, I don't really know if I'm going to live or die, but I know the only thing I can control is I'm not going to let down my friends. I'm not going to let down these guys who depend on me. And I think most people overcome their fear with that obligation of knowing I have a, these guys depend on me and I can't let them down. And that propels you forward. But there's some guys who can't, you know, uh, who can't do that. And, and what you're talking about and then what Matt Gospodinovich was talking about that day, I thought, man, that's tough, man. When you have to live with those feelings that, yeah, I shrank when everybody else kind of stepped up. and But there's, it happens, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I know for me, I mean, if I was out there by myself, of course, I would not fight. I'd be like, get the hell out of there. Right. But knowing that my, my brothers are around me and someone's shooting at my brothers, and, that, and now I'm pissed. Yeah, fuck, you know th- I mean? fuck this, right? Yeah, you, you don't shoot at my people, and I want to kill everyone I, I see. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to kill or die at that moment. And I, I, I don't. I want my mom to hear this, but uh, don't tell her. The, didn't, don't tell her you're on. Okay. Yeah, I won't tell her that I'm on. But at the moment, I'm ready to die for my my, my boys. You know, I'm, I'm ready to to, to do this. Um, of course, I told my mom <laughs> before we went out. I told my mom, "Mom, I'm nowhere near the front. I'm way back in the rear." This is before cell phones, so we got one final phone call before we pushed through the desert. So I told mom, oh, yeah, 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 I'm way in the rear, not even close to any combat. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about me, mom. Right. But when we're getting out, we're out, we're out there, I'm thinking, I'm ready to die for my boys. You know, I'll do anything I can to win this battle. What? So then you, ha- so you have that experience, and then you lay down, you go to sleep at some point, and those memories begin. Then you're, and you're busy, and vehicles are breaking, and you're doing your thing, and you're moving, and cr- you're seeing crazy shit. And then all of a sudden, you know, you take a breath, you're going to lay down. And you lay down, and these thoughts now begin to, um, it's like uh, you've backed up a dam, right? And now you, and now you, um, and now you lay down, and the dam begins to seep, right? And these, these memories and the things you saw now come flashing into your head. What were your thoughts as you laid down after and thought, uh, like, holy shit, what just happened? One of my thoughts was, um, I we were we were a christian nation fighting uh muslims or an islamic nation religion really seeped into my thought process i thought you know what's going on here um and i really started to lose my faith i lost my religion cuz as i went in there i prayed to god a lot a lot Please, God, keep me safe. Please, God, keep me strong. And I'm pr- praying to my Christian God. And I, I'm a Christian. Um, and But then I started thinking, the guys we shot at, the guys we captured, the guys we killed, they're probably of the Muslim faith. And I bet they prayed to their God for protection, pray that they kill the enemy. And we overwhelmed them. We beat them. So does that mean... My God is a better God. What's going on here? Or is religion a bunch of bull crap? Um, so I, I lost I lost faith in religion. Um, you know, my belief system for a while. I really did for a while. It, it was hard for me. I came back and I thought, I, I, maybe I'm not a Christian. Because I thought, these people that we killed... In Kuwait, 
I, I bet they don't believe their God is any less than my God. I really started to think about this. And, it just, and because somebody is born in a different area and they're surrounded by a different faith, does that make them less than I am because I was born in America with better weapon system and a better military? A lot of questions, Matt. That was really hard. No, I let me tell you, I mean, and guys struggle with it when you, I'll, I'll talk to guys and, you know, somebody tell me, hey, this guy's really struggling. And I'll meet him and. And we'll talk, and they'll tell me that I, I don't know why I lived. And I said, I can tell you. And they're like, you can't? I said, yeah. You were lucky. And if you think and if you think the answer is any deeper than that, if you think there is a cosmic connection between the fragmentation pattern of an RPG or a 155 round or whatever got shot at you, right, mm-hmm. and God's will for you, I said, I don't believe that. God is there to divinely, and this is just me, God is there to divinely inspire us. The things that happen on this planet Earth, from Hitler to the frag pattern of artillery round, have nothing to do with God. That's a human event. Just like divorce, just like destructive behavior. You know, you can pray to God for inspiration, but I don't believe God has a spreadsheet that says, oh, McNamara just cut that guy off on the 405. I'm going to have somebody key his, uh, key his truck in the, in, the, in the parking lot of Ralph's this afternoon. I don't, I don't believe that. But... For, for guys like you and me, that's how I got raised. And I, yeah. I went through the same thing you're talking about when my parents got divorced. And my family, which was a beautiful little family when I was a young guy, blew up in my face. And I thought, why would the God who, who controls all of this do this to me? Which is essentially what you've asked. Like, okay, so wait a minute. They pray, I pray. And I, I saw this in Iraq and Afghanistan. The most devout guys, they get whacked. And they yeah. go to church and they live good lives. And then the biggest shit bags, you look at a vehicle that is completely shredded and you're looking like everybody in that was dead, right? No. You know, everybody mm-hmm. but one guy. And the one guy's the biggest shit bag in, in, in the organization. And you're like, yeah. wait a minute. And you begin to, and you see this day after day after day after day. And so to me, um, there's a great book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And it's about a, written by a Jewish rabbi by the name of Harold Cushman, Kushner. And his son gets, has that genetic disorder where you, ra- where you age really quickly. Okay. And he dies, I think, at the age of 13 as a 90-year-old man. And so the things that this guy said to people, the hardest still goes through the hottest fire. There's a purpose in this. Time heals all wounds. Now people are saying to him. And his response, right? And he didn't say, fuck that. Because he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's a rabbi and he wouldn't say that. But in my mind's yeah. eye, that's what he says emotionally. And he rejects it. And his book is, is him coming to grips with the fact of, you know, man's humanness on a planet. And, and, and so I read that probably at the age of 23 and had a huge impact on my life. And I think it helped me keep, to continue to have faith as, as I went through a period like you did. Yeah. Where you look around and you say, I don't, I don't think what I was taught when I was a young person really gets me through this 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 place that i'm at now yeah and it's really you know there's there's fantasy land i hate to use the term fantasy land but there's this what if land and then there's harsh realities and when you step into harsh reality you really start to think okay you know um 
all, all these times I went to church and uh, and uh, um, walking to the valley of the shadow of death, and I'm, I have no fear and stuff like that. I'm thinking, oh no, 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 I'm scared. <laughs> I'm very scared. You know, I, I think about the Listen guys. To this. Say, this is I have a dog tag, and I I uh, I'm in Iraq, and I we we're going out to the Syrian border, and we stop in this firm base and. Uh, and to check out the area, make sure we got an intel update, and then we wound up having grabbing something to eat there. And in a box, Americans people sends all this, all these things, and it's a verse from Isaiah, and it says, "I will not be, I will not be afraid or terrified," you know, blah 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 blah. For the Lord is with me. And when I saw the word terrified, I thought, "Well, that's me," and I put it on my dog tags, and I and I still have it today. It's on my dog tag, right next to my son's dog tag, and but but right, and yeah. I, uh, right, yeah, it's okay. I mean, sure, I was scared, and there were times I was terrified, and I did lean on my faith. I mean, my faith tells me, you know, if I'm to go to battle and a and a die in war, this is my purpose, and. I, I also went on the battlefield thinking it's okay if I don't make it back because I'm doing my purpose. I never said like, that. Gabe's... I never said that. You're a greater man than I am. Oh. <laughs> I said, please. I said, here's what I said. I'm not really sure you're out there, and I know you hate me for that, but please, if you are, fucking help me. <laughs> help me. Can you, can you steer? Can you? And I always say that the God who governs the flight of metal through the air is a fickle motherfucker. Okay. Yeah. Um, please, if you're up there, please help me right now, because I could use it. Because I know if my luck runs true to form, I'm going to so get fucking whacked. <laughs> yeah, here you are. Right? Yet here I am. Yeah. Yeah, so I wasn't like you. I wasn't, go- I wasn't good with it. I well, and I, I wonder how much of that was. Uh, I was, what, maybe 20 years old at the time? So, you know, maybe I was watching too many movies where, you know, the good guy just flies in and kicks a mass and, you know, he... Explosions happen all around. The bullets miss by inches, and he's just good to go. That was just me. I believed it, man. I believed it. And then you got oh, cu- here. Then, I am. So then you got cured of it, though, right? I get, yeah, I got cured of it. I, I, I well, thought, when you, know, you see reality, and reality doesn't work like that, right? So, for yeah. instance, in the movies, right? Guys running, guys a hundred yards away. Guy pulls out a pistol, shoots, and hits him. Okay, in real life. Nobody hits anybody at 100 yards with a pistol, okay? You might as well, yeah, lasso the Titanic, okay? It ain't happening. And then you see, like, you know, bombs going off, and they, first of all, they look like nuclear explosions, and they don't actually work like that. But you see these things in movies, and then you see it for real, and you're like, oh, shit, this ain't a movie. Yeah. This ain't a movie. So, this is not a movie. I like it when they have the pistol, and they push it forward as they shoot. Yeah. You don't push the pistol for when they shoot. This is insane. This is crazy. Uh, I want to be on the set a lot of times, Mac. I want to be on these movie sets and say that's ridiculous. That's good money. If you can, hey, that's a, that's a good gig, man. I know you're making millions of dollars up there as a as a management consultant and as a, as a personal coach. But I'm telling you, if you could swing that one, uh, I should be a coach to the stars, man. That should be it. Whoa, hang that one on your little shingle, then, huh? Here we go. Let, let, okay, let's get real now. <laughs> so you get out of the Marine Corps, and uh, how do you find your way into becoming a management consultant? And I, I, and what I really want to talk about is a life coach because, again, um, you know, I met Susan Keeley, uh, who went down that road, and that's how uh, we met. 
you know, I met uh, Peggy Cooney through this and, and a lot of people that, that were in that first group. Um, but one of the things I see all the time is that we now go to therapists, and Viktor Frankl says this in Man's Search for Meaning. You know, therapists and psychiatrists used to be for people that had serious mental illnesses, right? Serious depression, mm-hmm. psychosis, schizophrenia, personality disorder, bipolar, all of that is what those people did. Well, now, if you're struggling in life, you go, through, you go see a therapist and you're inducted into big industrial complex mental health, which is medicate you and come to group therapy and talk therapy for as long as your insurance company will pay or as long as you will pay. Most of us don't have serious mental illnesses. Nine, only, only about 4.5% of the American population does. Yet, so many people go to therapy. My own opinion is that life coaches offer such a better path. And I want to I wanna hear the story about how you, how you found uh, your way into that. You're obviously a music guy, man. Why don't you buy a few more guitars? Oh, man. Actually, this is my, I'm in my son's room because he slept in the office last night. What? And, yeah. My son slept in the office, and he had to get up and go to online high school. So I'm in my son's room because he was sleeping on the couch. <laughs> what a nice, what a nice father! What, I am. I'm... What a nice father. The um. All right, so let's. Uh, so you get out of the Marine Corps in '99, May 21st of 1999. Not sure how I remembered that, but I did. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. pretty good. Yeah, um... Better than me actually. Glad right <laughs> And so you. Uh, so then what? I got in '99, and I knew that I just wanted to be. Um, we well, get out. Of, what, you get out as what? A staff sergeant. Uh, as a sergeant, It'd be like if you're realist, you get staff sergeant. And I say, no, nah, I'm good. We're, we're, we're good. I, I think I'm done. Uh, I was getting just into some trouble too. Started getting kind of political. The higher higher rank you get, the more political it gets. Yep. And it, it was time for me to go. There you go. But uh, I I really wanted to start a family. I was tired of going overseas, things like that. And uh, and you know, I seen enough guys who went overseas while they had a wife or a girlfriend or and children come back. To know wife or girlfriend, right? So I thought I, this is not the life I want to live. So now, were you married in the military or in the Marine Corps? Or yeah, I got married in ninety oh shit seven, <laughs> ninety seven. So and I said, yeah, it was time. Well, I want to start a family. Right. It was a you know want to do that, but I got out and, and I, I had some difficulties. Getting out, I was diagnosed with PTSD in '99 as I was getting out, and I remember the VA telling me that, and and them telling me you need you need to come back. We need to go over this. We need to some therapy. Blah blah blah. And I thought you're you're not going to call me fucking crazy. There's no way you're going to say I got PTSD and I'm not coming back. I want to start a family. You're not going to lock me up like a crazy person. Not going to happen. So this was my mindset. There's no freaking way I got PTSD. Get away from me. So uh, years went on, and, and, and I went. I worked at a fam- my family business for five years. I didn't like it. Did some real estate. I enjoyed real estate a little bit. Uh, but during that time, I had kids. You know, I had a daughter. I had a son. And the PTSD really started to catch up with me. How? You know, it, 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 How? Well, there were some experiences that I saw some images of some you know scenarios we went through in in Kuwait right. where children were raped 
children were murdered, children were tortured and burned. And I remember those images very vivid to me. And the older my kids got, the older my daughter got to the age that I saw a little girl who was raped and murdered, <clears throat> the more it was just consuming me. It was in my mind constantly, daily. I was having panic attacks. Um, I was being violent. I wanted to be. I wanted to hurt people. It was my outlet. I need to find an outlet, and so I wasn't um, a nice guy. I was having some serious what, trauma what, going. And, on. and what would be? Um, what would activate it? I hate the word trigger. What would? What would? What would cause that? Would it? Uh, for me, it's. It's you know when somebody gives me the fuck you look at Home Depot. I for whatever reason, I take that as a complete violation of myself as a human being. Everything I rep- represent and every that's how much I'm offended by that. And and I and I, I I've learned you know thankfully I've learned how to how, how to deal with that. But my for, my instantaneous reaction is what the fuck right? Um, I didn't used to be that way, um, but I became that way. So what? What um, what activated your shit? For me, it was people who wanted to um, just be offensive to me. If you want to be a dick to me for no good reason, then I would just blow up. Right. You know, I, there's no uh, talking you down kindly or softly. You know what I mean? It was, hey, fuck you, man. You don't know me. I'm being cool to you. I, I haven't hurt you. I haven't offended you in any way. But you want to be a dick. Do you understand how how I really don't have a problem with killing you? I, I come from a place where we were trained to kill people. And I learned in Kuwait and in combat, um, I really lost sensitivity to killing an, another human being if they have it coming. Right. So you throw me into the civilian world. Yeah, that's not that's not a good skill set to take in the civilian world. I'm not sure you know that, but I, I learned. I learned. <laughs> <laughs> I've had some discussions, and I've been fired plenty of times too because of it. But uh, it, so it was so you so when you come in the, P, the, the post-matic winning class, right? And this is all the shit I talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And you're thinking, where the fuck were you in 1999, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003? Yeah. Where the fuck were you when I needed you? Exactly. Where, where was the guy who put his arm around my shoulder and said, hey, man, we need to talk. We need to talk about this. And this is how the world works. You're not on the battlefield no more. You can't just go kill the guy who cut you off in traffic. It's a bad thing. And, you know, I don't want to go to prison. I really don't. <laughs> so, But how do you – yeah, yeah, that's uh, – but, again, that's a cool – I mean, that's the genesis of post-medic winning is my experiences going down the exact same road and then all those interviews thinking, holy shit, we're all, we're all stumbling down this road. We're all stumbling down this trail in the valley of the shadow of death, and if we don't talk about it. And maybe if we talked about it, we could help each other and then help other people because – the whole civilian world goes down the same road as a result of child abuse and, and sexual violence and all the other domestic violence and all the other things that happen in life. How we could maybe use this to good and help people. And that's really the, that's really the story. I mean, me going down the same road that you had gone down before me. Right. And I feel like this is 
it, it's a gift. Uh, I've been given a gift, and other people have been given a gift of seeing extreme violence, extreme terror and horror. If we make it out alive, and we can maintain, you know, stay off the alcohol, stay off the drugs, stay out of jail, maintain long enough to get your shit together, now I feel we have a duty, like you're doing, Mac, we have a duty to serve others. We have an experience that's so unlike the overwhelming majority of people. And what a blessing it is, what a gift to give it back and teach someone who may be working through this problem themselves. And, And not to this extreme, you know, some people have little minor problems. They don't see it as minor problems. Right. It's a big problem to them. But for me, I see their minor issues, and I take them serious you know, as a coach. And, and I, I teach them to work through those issues as if it was like my, like my own issues. Right. Um, so how does I, uh, explain to me? So so how do you get to the management piece? And then and then I want to talk about coaching. And then how do you? I mean, this thing, coaching this. You know, coaching other people. Um, how do you kind of? How does that evolve in your career? Yeah, well, for me, uh, my my Quintero management and coaching. I have I manage. Uh, we have an ATM side of the company, so it's managing ATMs. Got it. And then the coaching is just coaching the the people. Got it. Got it. Um, got it. Got it. And so, so, so the coaching the people that work for you, or coaching anybody? A life coaching, just coaching anybody. Okay, so how does that how does that get on your horizon? I mean, you're 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 a sergeant, yeah. you know, in your life. You're a sergeant yeah. in the Marine Corps. You 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 lead other people. You mentor other people. You coach other people. So it's nothing foreign to you. Um, how does the, how does the light go on to, for you to find that path? I started. I went back to school. in, jeez, man, I, my late thirties, forties, to get my psych, psychology degree. Oh, because no I wanted to work with veterans uh, with PTSD. That was my goal. That was my mission. Right. I had something. I had the gift. I made it through. It's time to give back. Right. That was my mission. And I want to go work at the VA as a therapist to work with veterans. That was my, my purpose. And along the way, uh, I learned I need to have a master's degree or a doctorate to really make good money and really get, get in there. And I heard about this life coaching thing along the way. And and I laughed. I thought, life coaching? That's stupid. Who needs a life coach? What kind of baby needs to be told how to live their life? That's ridiculous. <laughs> and, and then I looked around for a while, and I saw that, you know, Fortune 500 executives are getting life coaches. Uh, and you see celebrities are getting life coaches and, and powerful people. And then I heard about Tony Tony Robbins. You know, he, he's, he's coaching Bill Clinton. And, and I'm thinking, holy shit, maybe there's something to this. And when I realized that um, I think life coach would be better than being a therapist. Why did you think that at the time? I know why I think it, but why did you think it at the time? Well, I, I've had my share of therapists. And I thought, wow, they don't relate to me. Uh, and I have one, a couple. I met a couple great therapists, so right. I'm not going to bash the whole industry. But uh, overall, the majority of therapists are like, "Oh, I'm going to see you for an hour. I'm going to talk about your shit, your problems, go dig up your past, and through that, and barely knowing you, 
I'm going to issue you some drugs. Okay, so that's it, huh? I've been there. I've been there, Mac. I've been in these offices. I've had these conversations where I just look and I sit there and just stare at them. And I think, you don't know shit about me. You're just pissing me off. You're making things worse for me. And you want me to take these drugs, huh? Okay. I thought, I'm better. I know that I'm better than that. And what I heard about coaching is the process of it doesn't dig into the past too much. It's about moving forward. It's about today moving forward. I mean, as a coach, I want to understand your past. That's great. But now today, I need to take you where you're at and move you forward. The, the people I coach aren't broken. Therapists like to find people who are broken. Coaches don't find people who are broken. I find people who are freaking amazing, you know? People who have gone through some shit and they're still there. They're still surviving. They're still doing the work, man. They're still kicking ass. They're having a hard time. It may be a rocky road, but they're still there. Those are my people. The people I coach are not broken. They're working it out, man. They're like they're like the average football player who's taking a bunch of bumps and bruises. But I think of myself as like a Bill Belichick, you know what I mean? I'm going to take that young Tom Brady. I'm going to turn him into something. You know, Tom Brady's not broken. Tom Brady's free, free kick ass. But he had a good coach to lead him through the Super Bowls. What, um, so what, how long have you been a coach? Uh, since 2018, I started doing professionally since 2018. I went to uh, the CTI, which is the Coaches Training Institute right. in San Rafael. And I understand. Well, that was one of the top schools, so I went there. So, is that an in uh, in in classroom program, or is it online, or what? It was in classroom. That's what really got me going. I thought, you know what, man, I could do this online stuff all day long. You know, they they have like three hundred dollar online course to be a life coach. I thought, well, that's kind of silly, right. <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, you know, it cost me around thirteen thousand dollars to go through this school that I went to. Wow. Wow. So hey, you're, you're living in the Sacramento area and you're driving down for classes and then coming home? Or how, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. I um, I actually live in Vacaville, California. Yeah, home of the Vacaville Bulldogs. That's right. And yeah, the, my kids go there. The Zupo family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. How about that um, shit, right? I went to Christian <laughs> Brothers High School in Sacramento. Um, okay. We played Vacaville when I was in high school in the 70s. Right, Va- the Vacaville Bulldogs. It was a it was a farm co- community. It wasn't yeah. wall to wall housing from San Francisco to to uh, Lake Tahoe like that the corridor is now. Vacaville was a was and they grew onions there. Right, yeah. you drive through Vacaville and you could smell the onions. But they had they had football teams and they were big kids. They were big farm kids and they Christian Brothers was and Vacaville were were always in the in the top five in the region. And uh, so we'd go down and play them, and uh, and so yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm familiar, intimately familiar with Vacaville. How about that? You, you know Vacaville, yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. My son's going to Vacaville High School right now through his computer in my office, yeah. but you know <laughs> where he's where he's currently sleeping. What's his name? Walker. Walker's Walker. His name. Walker. All right. Walker. The, oh, um, yeah. That's a good name. Um, that's a guy's name. Oh um, yeah. So you so so you go do the coaching thing. Tell what you. What have you learned about? Uh, you know, you've you crammed a lot of living in your life so far, Jason. What have you learned about? And I want you to talk to people 
who are struggling, who will listen to this, you know, why a therapist, why a coach? And, and I'll give you my, my rationale. When I look at, at mental health statistics in the country and I see that 95% of the population that struggle that, of the country doesn't have a serious mental illness, to me then I would question whether you need a therapist. Okay. If you're just getting your ass kicked by life and you're struggling and you've grown up in tough circumstances and you haven't had a lot of great role models in your life, to me, the first place to go is a life coach, not a therapist. Okay. Because if you listen to Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, he talks about if you want to go down the Freudian rabbit hole of putting the mosaic of your past together and somebody giving you the right conclusion – and we all know you're not going to tell them all the pieces. So based on their Ouija board and some of the pieces they're going to tell you about you, good luck with that. And good luck with getting the right answer. Right? What, what, what Frankel talks about in his logotherapy is dealing with the future. Right? Learning from your past, dealing with the future. And, and I, I believe that. I've, I see it all the time. And I believe you know, that that's a little bit of a fool's errand to, to go down that but, you know, some people do it, and God bless them for doing it. My, But what I've seen that actually works is people who are coached by either life coaches or other mentors that put their hand on their shoulder and say, look, you can do this. I'm going to teach you. There's things you got to learn. And just like post-traumatic winning, when I talk about infrastructure of your day, for guys like Jason and I, if we don't practice what I call mental fitness, what is mm-hmm. that? Well, it might be a little bit of meditation. I can't do it for 15 minutes, but I can do it for a minute or two, and I can do that for a couple times a day. If I don't, if I don't, when somebody gives me the fuck you look at Home Depot, if I don't do the, the Tom Seaver exercise, which is take a breath and say, I'm done with this, I'm done with this, and then spit it out. And when I spit it out, I spit the venom and the hate, and now I go look for the duct tape, right? And my 17-year-old daughter looks at me and says... That was so good, Daddy. I'm so proud of you. And I say, yeah, Colleen, you know I want to kill that son of a bitch. You know that. And she goes, I know, but you didn't. And now we're going to go to Chick-fil-A, and then we're going to go see the puppies. But think about your kid when they've seen you click off save. And so my life without those things that I've learned, um, you know, and then the other thing I've learned is I go to therapy all the time. I just go with my friends. But I know when I need to talk, I pick up the phone, and I, and I find my friends, and I talk. And so to me, I've learned all that from other mentors, from other people, and guys like Jason who've taught me certain skills along the way. So uh, I'm curious in your mind, Jason, life coach, therapist, do you draw a line where you look at somebody and say, hey, I want you to see a therapist for these specific things that you need to work on? How do you, how do you divide that pie? Yeah, for me, it's like if – if I find someone who just keeps going back to the same old past, say it's alcohol. Uh, alcohol and drugs is a big one, man. Uh, if you keep going back to alcohol and drugs, I'm coaching you and trying to move you forward, but you keep going back to alcohol and drugs, I'm going to say you may you need a therapist, man. You may need a therapist. I'm trying to move you forward, and if this isn't working out for you, then that's fine. You may need the therapist route. Got it. Got it. Um, Got it. So, some it, kind, so what you perceive to be is some kind of structural damage. Go, you need to go get that addressed. Right. And, and another part is, you know, these 
therapists, they have the medical degrees, they have the paperwork and all this other stuff, and they're working within a system that's supposed to be helping these people. Well, you know, I have to give it up to them. If they're really better qualified than I am, then I'm willing to say that's what you need. But I will do everything that I can to help people see and learn how to heal themselves. You know, with coaching, we don't tell people how to live their lives. Right. We ask a lot of questions right. Right. And, and let them find their own answers. You know, I to me, if if and and I, when I think about this, and I do, if you can reason through a problem, if you can understand, and if you can adjust your behavior, and again, know that progress is not linear and steady; it is crooked. Right, and it's two steps forward, one step back. It might be three steps back, and then a step forward. But if you if you're making that progress and you're fighting that fight, to me, then then you know I can I can help you. But if there's infrastructure damage, you know that keeps you. And again, you mentioned alcohol, drugs, throw porn in there, throw fitness in there. Some people compulsive shoppers. All the things that we do obsessively that are really Novocaine. Yeah. For us, because there's some bigger issue that we're not dealing with in there. If that's if, if if you can't get beyond that in terms of understanding it, knowing to avoid it, knowing your life will be better without it, to me, then I think that yeah, you need you need additional help to address that infrastructure issue. So, I think you're I, I think you're spot on right there. Yeah, if someone's on the path to a to a suicide or very dangerous behavior. That's when I, I, I got to give it up because I can't institutionalize someone. I can't lock someone up. I can't call the cops and say, hey, I think this guy has a real mental issue. Maybe you need to pay them a visit. That's not uh, – I'm not there. Coaches don't do that. Right. You know, these doctors can do that kind of stuff. I don't. Right, right. So, so is, it, it, is it a professional thing where you actually um, understand the, the warning signs? and Because and, uh, I would imagine there would be some personal liability in that too, yes or no? Yeah, I'm also certified through the ICF, which is the International Coaching Federation. And we're very clear on, you know, what is coaching and what is therapy. Right. And when it comes to a, ther- a dangerous therapy issue, you need to give it up. Right. Because, I mean, the number one, the most important thing is that person. Right. That it help, person. Is to help them. Right. It's to help them. Right. So don't, you know, don't try to be Superman and try to handle everything. Right. If you can see that this person needs something else, right. you got to give it up. So let me ask you. Let me ask you. So, if somebody wants to is looking for a coach, how do you recommend that they find one? I recommend that they interview. You know, find at least three. Like shopping for a car, you know, go shop. Go go find some different coaches and talk to them. I know every coach that I know will do a free uh, consultation or, or just have a discussion. Like for me, I'll take up to two hours. You know, have a sit-down conversation about you. I want to know who you are. Right. I want to know your life. And I want to know if we click. You know, you have to click with the person. Well, you know, it's interesting. I talk about mental health and therapy. And I, and I talk about therapy as a three-legged stool, right? You've mm-hmm. got to get them. They've got to get you. And then together, you've got to make progress. If one of those legs is missing, you've got to go get a new stool. Right, you got to go get new, find somebody else, and that's what yeah. you're talking about is doing the interview process. Because I don't think enough people do that, and then what happens no. is they have a shitty experience, right? And then they say, "Fuck it, I'm not going to do that anymore." And and really, you were doomed from the outset 
because you didn't do the due diligence relative to finding somebody who that you wanted to coach you. Right. And, and Mac, therapist. When people go to a therapist, they get thrown or assigned to a therapist. You're just with a therapist. This therapist doesn't know you. You don't know them. Do you click? Probably not. You know, for me, when I talk to my clients, I want them to understand me. I want them to know my background. Right. I want them to know, you know, I want to have a conversation like, are you okay with profanity during my coaching? You know, because I may use it quite a bit sometimes to really make a drive a point home. But, you know, I had one time I had a pastor. I worked with a pastor. He was not cool with it. So I toned it down. I didn't use any profanity, you know. Wow. But I mean, you had to. Did you fall out of your chair? You started talking, and then all of a sudden you tipped over. And he said, <laughs> there were a lot of long pauses. Start, start convulsing. Jason, are you okay? Yes, I'm trying to. Yeah, I'm trying to speak. I'm trying to speak side. without profanity. It's yeah, just but, not natural to me. The client, respect <laughs> the client, right? <laughs> but but it's very important that you have to um, you have to like your coach. I think you you have to. You have to understand their experience. And for me, like, I can, if a Marine goes to some of the coaches that I know, I have some very soft coaches. You know, they, they, they want to, you know, talk about burn some incense or worship some freaking crystals or some crap like that. Um, if a, a combat Marine goes to see that coach, they're going to think, holy fuck, man, I don't want nothing to do with this, right? Mm. But they come to me, it's a different experience. Right. <laughs> and, and somebody soft goes to you. They'll run out of your office, right? Well, they probably wouldn't, but because you right. would, but everybody just, but no, that's, and, 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 and let me tell you, I think that's one of the great failures. We as consumers of either coaching or therapy, we go there nervous to interview them, right? Yeah. And what you have to know is you're the consumer. You make that decision. You have to decide if you want them. Okay, but it's not how most of us come. We come, you know, this is my guy. This is my girl. I went. It sucks. I went back. It sucks some more. And then I said, fuck it. I'm not going back. And then a few years later, my wife got on my ass. I knew I had to go back. So I go through the same thing again. And you miss the most fundamental and important step, in my opinion, which is you've got to interview them and go talk to somebody who you want to talk to. And that's why I think. You know, in, in the whole post-traumatic winning thing, um, once you kind of learn these things and you become unafraid to have these conversations with your friends, you do go to therapy, right? And how do I go to therapy? I call Jason. Hey, man, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. Nothing, Mac. I'm in my son's bedroom working because he's sleeping on my couch again, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm hating my life at work. And then you just start talking about your life. Like, hey, man, I got a question for you, right? And do you yeah. think... You know, and and you ask a question about your own anger. Do you think that, you know, you can really ever overcome this anger that, you know, guys like you and me have? And so you go to this warm, you know, dare I say intimate, safe Mm -hmm. place with another person. Well, I don't know what you'd call that. I call it therapy. And you're doing it with a friend and you can go all the time and it's free. But to me, that's how this, if you learn that's how you can, you evolve this stuff, and, 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 and hopefully the business that therapists and coaches are in, which has enabled you to have those conversations with other people, and then always ready to support you. And so I, I just, you know, to me, life coaches don't get, don't get enough um, publicity, in my yeah. opinion. Um, and, but you hear about them, like you said. You hear about them more and more, and I just think they are the ideal first step. 
Um, because I don't think a, a life coach is not as intimidating as a quote unquote therapist, right? I think you're right. Yeah. I, and, and I was going to say that, you know, I, I want the client to really take ownership. A good life coach allows the client to take ownership of the, the process. You know, they're in charge of their, their life. They're in charge of this conversation. In, in a therapist's office, sometimes the therapists have their degrees on the back wall. You're intimidated by that. You think, okay, they know their shit. They're going to tell me what to do. Whereas I'm not telling people what to do. I don't know your life. I want to have a conversation. It's up to you. Not up to you, but, you know, it is kind of up to you to get this out, to talk about these sorts of things. And we meet on an even keel. We're even. We're partners in this. I'm not coaching. You're, you know, whatever. We're even here. You know, you're my brother. You're my sister. Let's get through this. Let's figure something out. Um, and, 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 you know. not I, So not nearly as intimidating as the whole, you know, um, therapist, patient, right? Yeah. There's not, uh, there shouldn't be a huge power imbalance in the coaching process. Uh, sometimes there's a power imbalance in therapy, but not it, this shouldn't be in coaching. You know, the people I work with, I need to know them. And you talk about the intimacy. Man, some of the best sessions I've ever had is with grown men who are breaking down and sobbing and crying. Uh, and I talk about there's a, some coaches have a real soft style. Soft style. I, I, I think I'm more of a hard style. But, man, if you're crying with me, if you're getting stuff out, that's not soft. You know, I want that. You don't, you don't, you don't slap him and say snap out of it, man, or anything like that? Man, not, not at all. You know, <laughs> if, if it, I want it to get really intimate. I want to get really raw, really deep, and really honest. You know, I want the, I want the real badass tough guy cop who's been on the force for 15 years to break down over the phone with me or through a, a Zoom conference and just lose it and tell me about his children. You know, tell me how he doesn't spend enough time with his kids. And really talk about that. You know, I, I want the hardcore Marine, combat Marine, to break down and cry over the things that he's seen or the things he's done or his concerns for the future. Which, you know? which truth be told, most of them, most of us rarely articulate that stuff. There's, right. There are things we think, and um, then there's things we say, and a lot of times they're very, very different. We don't we don't often go into uh, the holy of holies with somebody else, and mm -hmm. and that's uh, I think one of the coolest things about about uh, about this stuff is that when somebody and and it, these are very unlike marine like terms, right? Which is right. you know I I have this phrase you know be gentle with yourself, not so marine like. Um, the, talking about intimacy and and where you need to go to make progress in these areas, not very marine like. But but again, you know what? Part of me says that, and then part of me rejects that because the best Marines I know, the best advice I ever got, I got from my company gunning because he wasn't afraid to go there with me. Yeah, you know what I mean. So yeah. so so it doesn't sound like stereotypical Marines, but the best Marines I know, the best leaders I know. Right, they were not afraid to go there ever. Hey, sit down. I want to talk to you. Let me tell you about me, and then they'd begin to tell you a story about themselves, which completely identified them with your experience. And you're just wow. Well, let me tell you what happened. And and all of a sudden, and that's always been the good ones. 
And that's always yeah. been the good ones. And so this, hey, I, this whole intimacy thing, I think for me, started with great leaders in, in the Marine Corps. And I, and I saw it who weren't afraid to go there. And they were role models for me in terms of sticking your hand out and say, hey, man, let's sit down and talk. Right. And I think there's, there's a long tradition of warriors who and an image of warriors who, you know, you don't break, you don't cry, you don't you don't talk about sensitive issues. Right. And I get that. And it works. I mean, for the battlefield, this works. This is very effective. Um, and, and let me tell you, I, I mean, I say there's a time and a place to fake it. Right. Right. And the battlefield's one of them. We don't have we don't have time. I, mean, I remember telling a Marine who had seen a young um, kid get shot in the head and killed. And, you know, stick his thumb into the kid's head, trying to stop the bleeding, screaming for the corpsman. The corpsman come and just close the kid's eyes and say, I'm sorry. You know, there's nothing we can do. He's dead. And, you know, so I, I hear about this weeks later. And I hear that he's struggling. And, you know, I, I so I found him. And I said to him, hey, man, I want to talk to you. And he looks at me. He's a corporal. I'm a major. Hmm. And I said, uh, I heard you're struggling. I heard you're fucked up. And he looked at me, right, and he says, how did you hear about that, sir? I said, I pay attention. And I said, are you fucked up? And he looked at me, Jason, and with this look on his face like, I don't know. And I said, well, let me tell you something. You are fucked up. But you're fucked up like all the rest of us. And, 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 And we'll teach you how to live with it. I said, you ever watch a history channel? And he says, yeah. I said, those pussies from World War II, they're still crying about that shit 75 years later, right? And he looks at me and goes, sir, they're not pussies. I said, I know. Right? So what does that tell you about how these experiences get laser blasted into your brain tissue? I said, so let me tell you something. You'll never get over that. You'll never get that scene out of your head. Okay, but we need you. And and we'll teach you how to live with it. And so there's going to be days when this shit makes you cry. Okay? And let me tell you what I tell people. I have I have allergies. That's what these that's what these are. Wipe the tears out of your eyes, wash your face off, and then grab your rifle and go do your job. Just know that this is going to be a part of your life forever. There's nothing wrong with yours. You know, there's, this is exact quote. There's not a fucking thing wrong with you, man. You are part of a uh, an, an elite group of people that walk this planet who are warriors. And this is part of it. And we'll teach you how to live with it. And, and Jason, every time I would see that corporal, you know, and this is in Fallujah, around Fallujah, Camp Fallujah and whatnot. He would go out of his way to come see me. Mac, how's it going? And, and it was just the recognition that I had taken him behind this curtain. Yeah. I had taught him yeah. something. I had made him understand, help him understand the experience. And so to me, you know, it's not hard. I'll be curious what you have to say about this. People want to talk about their shit. Mm-hmm. They're dying to, but they, they don't go there easily. But once you create a safe place for them, once they understand that you're not judging them and, and that you're about the truth, in my opinion, um, they want to be coached. They want to be helped. And they want to talk about this shit. I, your experience is relative to that. Yeah. I, and, you know, I think about people who they live a very on-the-fence, middle-of-the-road kind of life. They don't go to any extremes. Whereas you get a combat Marine who sees combat and they're the baddest motherfucker on the block. That's a good thing. That's who you need to be. But then to be able to switch over to being compassionate and take care of the poor child who is caught in this combat zone and cry over them 
that's extraordinary. These extraordinary people can go swing to both sides. Be the baddest hardcore motherfucker and be the softest, kindest person you ever met. Those are the people who I find extraordinary. Where most people will just... Um, well, I, I will tell you this, and this is my case for coaching and my case for post-traumatic winning. Most people don't know how to do that. And, no. they, and they don't know how to deal with the disconnects you feel in between as you transition across that scale. And that's the importance of coaching. That's the importance of post-traumatic winning. And it, there is a path to go do that. And you can do that. But you know what? We don't come to that on our own. It's just not wisdom that's that's hanging from a tree someplace, yeah. and you go. And that's, the, in my opinion, that's the critical, you know, need. And that's what coaches do, and that's what I try to do with this program. So that's why I think this is so important because all of a sudden you see the light go on with somebody, right? And you're like, yeah. oh shit, I can do that. For me, it's people hoping and groping in the valley of the shadow of death, been raped repeatedly. Been, you know, been drunk for decades, and all of a sudden they, you see this light go on when they say, oh, my God, like, this is no bullshit, and I could actually walk this, and there is a path for me to live a great life. And that, I mean, that's a magical moment, whether you're a coach or whatever. Yeah, I think I, think I need to see people live their full range of emotions. Because right. some people get caught in a box, like, this is what I do, this is who I am, this is how I'm supposed to act. But they're not living their full range of emotions, and they're not, they're not reaching their full potential. If you're not living the full range of emotions in your life every day, you're not reaching your full potential. You know, you sold out to what the, you think people need from you or what you think people expect from you. I see in the military, um, you know, there's an expectation of who you're supposed to be, and that's unfair to you, you know. And that's just some one of the things I need to get out of everyone, not just military, but I mean, freaking corporate executives. Right. You know, I know corporate execs who I've coached who think they have to be the hardcore executive. But do you get to know your subordinates' family, their children? Or do you have any feelings for them? Um, you have to live the full range of emotions. And, and that's something I really try to get out of my clients. I want tears and I want. To hear the hardcore motherfucker come out also. I need that full range. Be a full person. And your life is going to be much more rich. How do people get a hold of you that want to talk either advice about how to find a coach or would like to use uh, you as a coach? How do people get a hold of you, Jason? And I and I hope uh, we'll come back and do this again. I hope you don't mind if uh, there's uh, coaching issues that come up. I'd love to have you come back on and, and talk about them. I love to, man. Um, my website is quinterocoaching.com. Got it. Spell it. Q-U-I-N-T-E-R-O, coaching.com. Or it, I'll, give my, I'll give my cell phone number out to you on your station here. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my phone number is 707-685-3016. You can, you can hit me up there. Got it, got it, got it. And yeah. so, uh, so I just think that, you know, most people – you know, before you go to a therapist, try a coach. Yeah. And, and I think the things that Jason has said here today, and interview that coach, and then you hire that coach. As so, could you imagine if you could, like, you know, you hear people say, "Oh man, I would have loved to have uh, served under that person," or "I would have loved to have uh, been coached by that guy." Well, yeah. he, he, if if you're looking for that, you have the opportunity to go find that. Right? Yeah. 
you had the opportunity to, to bring a a great coach, human being type coach, and you can define the experiences. I want him to be a military guy, or I don't want him to be a military guy. I want him to have a heavy sales background. I want him or her to do this or this or this. You can prescribe all that and then go about and finding him and bring him into your life. And so I'd tell you, man, um, before you do therapy, do this. Do this. Yeah, do it, coaching. It, and I would tell him, take ownership of the process. You're in charge. As a client, if you want to coach, take ownership of it. You know, tell your coach everything. Get deep. Get real deep and intimate with your coach and, and find out if they're really going to fit your needs. If you if you can really bullshit with them, be honest with them, get them. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. QuinteroCoaching.com. His yes, name sir. is Jason Quintero, former sergeant, United States Marine Corps. Uh, yeah. Jason and a graduate of uh, the post-traumatic winning sem- seminar. So, uh, first of all, thanks for doing this, man. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, and uh, we'll do it again sometime if you don't mind. I love it, Mac. Thank you. All right, man. Hang in there. Keep doing good shot. All right, brother. All right. There you have yeah. it. Jason Quintero. Nice. How about that, everybody? Good stuff. That'll do it on a Tuesday. I've got to get on an Adobe Connect call and set up a class I have to do in Hawaii next week. So, exciting stuff. Anyway, if you're just tuning in, that was Jason Quintero of uh, QuinteroCoaching.com and a former Marine and a good dude. So, uh, yeah, if you're looking for help, not a bad place to start. Or if you want to be a coach, give Jason a call. Contact him through his website. So, on this Tuesday, I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio on the All Warrior Radio Network. Thanks for listening. Don't be afraid to help somebody. Yeah. And uh, and the Mensa Brothers will be on tomorrow. Yeah, they're getting switched to uh, to Wednesday for a while. We'll see how long that lasts. But, uh, yeah, for uh, reasons that have to do with more programming than anything else. So have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow with the Mensa Brothers. I am...